Okay, I'm trying now. Yippee, skippy. <laughs> All right. Well, that's good. That means the CD will hear me too. So as we take a look at chapter 40, in chapter 40, listen, the message that the Lord has for us is that God always has a remnant. That no matter how crazy, how bad, how nutty, how insane things are going on, God always has a group of people in that place and in that time to do God's work. We got a chance to see a little bit of that this morning when Edward uh, Amaya was sharing with us about uh, the far-reaching ministries in uh, the Sudan and the, the chaplains that are there in the midst of all this craziness, all this genocide and, you know, over a hundred years straight of civil war between factions of Muslims and Christians in the Sudan and the desire of one or the other to wipe out one or the other. And as we see all the horrific things that are done that man can do to one another, what do we see in the midst of all that? That God has lifted up a a mission organization to be the training arm of the chaplains for the Sudanese army who are out doing the work of God in the midst of all kinds of atrocities, all kinds of craziness. That's Kathy's cell phone. (laughs) so what we see that god always has a remnant and he teaches us that throughout the scriptures throughout the scriptures we'll see that the the lord begins an incredible work with the nation of israel with how many people one man abraham living in the earth of the chaldees called by god to follow him and from abraham the lord made a great nation we see the same thing even earlier. We, we go back and we see God doing a, a work through Noah at the time of the flood, right? At the time of the flood, we see a nation in, in disrepair, a, a world in, in angst against the Lord. But eight people, God's remnant, the Lord chooses to deliver the world through. Over and over and over again, we're going to see the same thing. We're going to see this same heart. And it's no different at the time of Jeremiah. Now maybe like you, you can relate to how Jeremiah is feeling. Jeremiah is pretty low. Nobody's ever listened to a message he's given yet. Even when he pleads, even when the Lord God pleads with men, they won't obey, they won't follow him. Yet he sees God's hand working in his life, even in the midst of all those things. In chapter 40, he begins... And the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, or the word came to Jeremiah from the Lord, after Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, had let him go from Ramah, when he had taken him bound in chains among all who were carried away captive from Jerusalem and Judah, who were carried away captive to Babylon. And the captain of the guard took Jeremiah and said to him, The Lord your God has pronounced this doom on this place. Now that's kind of interesting to me. The captain of the guard, Nebuzaradan, that's the guy that Nebuchadnezzar charged with making sure Jeremiah was going to be taken care of. Don't you wonder why Nebuchadnezzar cares about Jeremiah? Why would Nebuchadnezzar put a guy to take, to take care of him, make sure he's washed out for him, make sure he's not being mishandled by the Babylonian troops? Why would Nebuchadnezzar care about Jeremiah? Because there's another young man who studies the writings and the prophecies of Jeremiah who's living in Babylon. 
His name's Daniel. Maybe it's part of Daniel's influence. Maybe not. Maybe it's just the providence of God. But I still find it interesting that this pagan guy who lives in the center of any other worship other than the worship of Most High God is saying, your God has pronounced doom on this place. It's it's as though he's speaking as a prophet rather than as a soldier. There he is before Jeremiah the prophet. Listen to all he says. He goes on to say, Now the Lord has brought it and has done just as he said, because you people have sinned against the Lord and not obeyed his voice. Therefore, this thing has come upon you. You know what else I find interesting? He uses the covenantal name of God every time he says the word Lord. What does that mean? He uses the what we call the tetragrammaton. He uses the Yahweh. He uses the impronounceable name of God. The name that only the high priest knew. The name that only people who served him knew. The name of God. His name. Not just the word God like we use today. His name. The Yahweh from which we... we decipher Yehovah or Yahweh, depending on which way you lean, to be the the possible pronunciation of the name of God. A pagan guy, nowhere on Scripture are we going to see him having a relationship with anybody, any of God's people, but he knows God's name. He knows God's judgment has fallen upon the people. Man, you know sometimes God's working in ways you can't figure out or understand? That sometimes God is doing things you can't put your finger on. But nonetheless, there it is. There he is, Nebuzaradan. He's going to spend a few verses on the pages of Scripture. And here he is pronouncing not only the name of God, God's judgment on the nation. The very things that Jeremiah had been telling the people. Maybe it was the guys who went to the Chaldeans. You know, the people who heard Jeremiah and went to the Chaldeans, and maybe the Chaldeans said, what are you doing here? And they told them. God told us that he's going to bring this judgment, and we need whatever it was. Man, Nebuzaradan, he understood whatever was happening was far beyond him, even unto the heavens, that God was doing a work. And so he encourages the prophet. Now, right now, the prophet Jeremiah is in chains naked at Ramah. Now, he wasn't supposed to be taking a Ramah. They, the soldiers were just gathering everybody up, and they gathered up Jeremiah. And Nebuzaradan, we saw last week, was charged by Nebuchadnezzar to make sure Jeremiah was okay. So the first thing Nebuzaradan does is he goes down to where all the, all the prisoners of war are captured, and he begins to go through all the prisoners until he finds Jeremiah. And when he finds Jeremiah, look at the encouragement that God has him do for Jeremiah through him. In verse 4, it says, And now look... I free you on this day from the chains that are on your hand. Listen, if it seems good to you to come with me to Babylon, come, and I will look after you. But if it seems wrong to you to come to meet with me to Babylon, remain here. All the land is before you. Wherever it seems good and convenient for you to go, go there. Man, that's, that's a pretty incredible thing. Nebuzaradan, who knows the name of God, the covenantal name of God, who knows God's pronouncement of judgment upon the nation, then is God uses him as a hand of encouragement. Have you ever had the Lord use a hand of encouragement in your life when you're feeling down that came from kind of an odd place? Somewhere maybe you weren't looking for it. 
some phone call. There, there have been times where I have received a phone call that I'm dreading. The phone rings. I look at it and I say, oh. And I pick up the phone and I begin to talk. And God begins to speak encouragement through a, a phone call I didn't even want to have in the first place. But that's how God is. We can never tell around the bend or the next person we talk to or the next opportunity that we have is not going to be the, the voice of God coming through this person we didn't expect to hear it from. But nonetheless, there he is encouraging Jeremiah. Whatever you need, brother. Now, is it Nebuzaradan that is his, his, his uh, benefactor? Is it him that's taking care of him? No, it's not him. It's the hand of God working through him. There were two people once, an atheist and his neighbor was a Christian. He could not stand her. She was always finding reasons to praise the Lord, and the atheist was just bugged, bugged him. It bugged him that she was, uh, would, would always be calling upon the Lord. He said, one day I'm going to get her. One day I'm going to prove to her there is no God. So one day he hears her talking to somebody else, one of the other neighbors, and she talks about the fact that she is, has run low this month. She doesn't really have a, enough money for, for food or groceries, but she knows God's going to provide. The atheist is listening. So he runs down to the grocery store, and he buys up a bunch of, of groceries and food and stuff for this woman. And he brings it and leaves it at her door, and he goes and he hides behind a bush. And he waits. She opens up her door and she looks and she sees these groceries and she goes, oh, Lord God, thank you so much for these groceries. And the guy jumps out of the bush and says, God didn't get them for you. I got them for you. And then she looked up to the heavens and she said, Lord, thank you that not only did you supply my groceries, but you made the devil pay for it. <laughs> hey, God's. God is able to deliver through hands we might not even begin to understand or imagine. But here, there is God reaching out and touching Jeremiah's life where he's at. Now, in verse 5 says, Now while Jeremiah had not yet gone back, Nebuzaradan said, Go back to Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, whom the king of Babylon has made governor over the cities of Judah. And dwell with him among the people. Or go wherever seems convenient for you to go. So the captain of the guard gave him rations and a gift and let him go. Now listen, something that we have to hold on to. One, God always has a remnant. God always is able to preserve a remnant, a body, a part, people who love him and worship him no matter what happens no matter what's going on whether it's in sudan and all that craziness god's got a remnant a body of believers who are there to do his work here wherever we are god always has a remnant he knows how to preserve his people second thing he'll provide for them provide for them maybe it isn't always the way we'd like but he provides yahweh yideh the Lord, our provider, God is able to meet our needs. And he does. He is truly everything we need. One of my favorite things to do 
is the baby dedications that we get to do. And my, one of my favorite prayers is to pray through those names of God and the encouragement that the little ones, as they grow, will come to know that God is everything they need. With a psalmist, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll put no evil. Why? Because you are with me. He begins with, the Lord is my shepherd, what? I shall not want. What's he saying? He, the shepherd, God, is everything I need. And that's what we see. Jeremiah being provided for by the Babylonians. The people that everybody around, every godly person would say, them people are no good. But what? God has a remnant. God has a man, Nebuzaradan. God has placed on his heart through Nebuchadnezzar, maybe through the ministry of Daniel, some hundred miles away in Babylon, as he's been reaching out to Nebuchadnezzar and, and interpreting his dreams and telling him all these things. Remember, all these things are happening at the same time. And here we see this guy through all these, these things, the fingerprints of God all everywhere. Jeremiah may feel like, man, God has left this place, but it's evident he hasn't, right? He's all over working. He's working in Babylon. He's working through Daniel. He's working through Ezekiel at the same time. He's working through Jeremiah. He's doing a work. He's working in your life. I don't care how quiet it seems. I don't care how chaotic. I don't care how if things aren't going together. It doesn't make any difference. It doesn't matter where you are or what is happening. God never sleeps. He never stops. He never stops. Janet sent me a, a text earlier this week from that song, uh, God's Not Dead. That uh, uh, Who is it? Newsboys. I love that song. And what an encouragement. He's not dead. He's living inside of me and he's working on my behalf. And he's working on your behalf as well. Just like he was working with Jeremiah. The Lord doesn't tell us these stories just to say, look how I was there for someone else and I'm going to let you rot. He tells us to encourage us how he can meet our needs. So Jeremiah went to Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, to Mizpah. And he dwelt with him among the people who were left in the land. When all the captains of the armies who were in the fields, they and their men heard that the king of Babylon had met Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, a governor in the land, and had committed to him men and women and children, and the poorest in the land who had not been carried away captive to Babylon, then they came. To get Eliah and Mizpah. Listen, there's a people all over the place, scattered. But they hear that Nebuchadnezzar made Gedaliah governor. There's a ruler around the area of Judah. And the only people he's got is the poor and the destitute and the wiped out and the afflicted. Sound familiar? Who do we see around Jesus in throughout his ministry? The poor, the afflicted, the sick. The sinner, the tax collector, that's them. And they all begin to gather together. How many times in Scripture do we see this? Over and over. David, when he goes up and hides in the caves, what happens? All the people who are poor, destitute, wiped out, obliterated, angry, frustrated, what happens? They all go to David. And God builds the mighty men of David out of those guys. The rejects of society. The same thing here. Gedaliah, set up by the king of Babylon. Puppet king, not of the royal lineage, not of the line of David. 
But he's a good man, a godly man. Jeremiah is with him, and the people begin to come. The remnant, the body, coming there to Gedaliah, gathering in Mizpah. And Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, jo- Johanan, Jonathan, the sons of Kariah, Sariah, the son of Tanumeth, the sons of Ephi, the Netophathite, wow, and Jezaniah, the son of uh, Machathite, they and their men, and Gedaliah, the son of Ahiakim, the son of Shaphan, took an oath before them and their men, saying, Do not be afraid to serve the Chaldeans. Dwell in the land, serve the king of Babylon, and it will be well with you. Now before we get all strange, know this. That has been the word of the Lord through Jeremiah for years. Obey the king of the Chaldeans. Lay down your sword. Make peace. Live life. And accept that this is where I have you. And so he brings that same word. The word that Jeremiah had brought for years. The people gather and they come around him. He says in verse 10, As for me, I will indeed dwell at Mizpah and serve the Chaldeans who come to us. But you, gather wine and summer fruit and oil. Put them in your vessels and dwell in your cities that you have taken. Here's what he's telling them. In in verses 9 and 10, he's saying... God will keep his promises to the remnant. Not only does does God preserve a remnant, not only does God provide for a remnant, but God keeps his promises to them. One chapter ago, we're reading about people eating their children because of the craziness of the siege. You remember? There's no food. There's no water. There's nothing. They don't have anything. Now the guy says here, come, be obedient to God's word, and go out and gather wine and summer fruit. Now, wine is always a symbol of luxury. You don't usually have wine when times are terrible. But as a sign that God's going to keep their promises, he tells them, go out, gather. Go out and see what you will find. Find peace in the cities that you decide to dwell in. Remember, the entire land is obliterated. The cities burned to the ground. The houses are down. Hey, wherever you want to scrape out for yourself a living, go scrape out and gather some summer fruit and gather the wine. Now I want you to look at what happens. And it says uh, in verse 11, Likewise, when all the Jews who were in Moab among the Ammonites and Edom, and who were in all the countries heard that the king of Babylon left a remnant of Judah, and that he had said over them, Gedaliah the son of Ahiakim the son of Shaphan, then all the Jews returned out of all the places where they had been driven. And they came to the land of Judah, to Gedaliah at Mizpah. Look what it says. And gathered wine and summer fruit. How? In abundance. They had what they needed. They had what they needed. God gave them what they needed. Not only does God preserve a remnant and provide for them, <clears throat> He keeps His promises to them. So they have what they need. Doesn't the scripture tell us that we can cast our cares upon the Lord for he cares for us? Now that doesn't mean he's going to bail me out of every problem I put myself into. But it does mean he will provide for my needs. When Elijah had no food, Elijah was fed by the ravens. When David was nearing starvation, he was given the showbread. 
Wherever God's people are, wherever His remnant is gathered, God provides for them. We told a story today. Edward told us a story about Peter, a chaplain, who refuses to carry a weapon anymore with the South uh, Sudanese army. So he just carries with him a cross, a flag with a cross on it, and a, and a wooden cross. They take literally this idea of carrying a cross. So they, it's little, it's not a big giant thing, but just so that people know who he is. And when all this crazy firefight is going on and, and his soldiers are being obliterated, he's moved by the Spirit of God to stand in the middle of this battlefield, lift his hands, and begin to praise the Lord. Not a, not a gun on him. People shooting like crazy. You don't think that the bad guys are trying to take that dude out? Really? <laughs> oh, man. And there he is praising the Lord, and the bullets whistling by, and not one touches him. Edward said he had holes in his clothes. There no holes in him. Praising the Lord. God able? Sure he is. Does he have a remnant? Sure he does. And he's able to provide in abundance for their needs and what they lack. He gives them summer fruit and wine. And then there's a meeting with Gedaliah. Now, whenever, here's two things you need to know. God always has a remnant. Two, Satan will always come against it. Two things you can promise yourself. God always has a remnant. Satan will always come against it. If there is a work of God going... There will be an attack from Satan to try to destroy it. Guaranteed. We see it all across the pages of Scripture. We see it all across reality and life on the news. We heard about it this morning. Whenever things are going, whenever God's doing a move, Satan comes to stop. Look what happens. Moreover, it says, Johanan, the son of Kariah, and all the captains of the forces that were in the fields came to Gedaliah at Mizpah, and they said to him, Do you certainly know that Baalus, the king of the Ammonites, has sent Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, to murder you? But Gedaliah, the son of Ahikim, did not believe him. Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah. We read his name in verse 7. In verse 7, or in verse 8, I'm sorry, they, they gather together these leaders. And this leader, Ishmael, it's interesting, he is... A direct relative to King David. He can trace his lineage through the royal line. And here he is with Gedaliah. And Gedaliah doesn't want to believe it. The people come to tell him. Now listen. I want you to hear this. As the scripture says that we are not to receive an accusation against an elder or someone else except by the voice of two or three witnesses. Why? Because by the voice of two or three witnesses... A thing will be established. In fact, the scripture goes on to say, where two or three are gathered, what does the Lord say? There I am in their midst. That's the context within which that scripture is given. In terms of judgment, understanding when when people are telling the truth and what's really going on. By the mouth of two or three. Well, here he has his captains. Now, the, the, the phrasing that's used here means that it's more than two or three that have come together that are telling them, this guy means ill for you. And he doesn't want to believe it. This guy, he's gonna, he, he wants to destroy you. He won't believe him. He won't listen. In fact, Scripture goes on to say in verse 15, Then Jochanan, the son of Kariah, spoke secretly to Gedaliah and Mizpah. 
And he said, let me go, please. I will kill Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, <coughs> and no one will know it. Why should he murder you so that all the Jews that, who are gathered to you would be scattered and the remnant in Judah perish? But Gedaliah, the son of Hikam, said to Johanan, the son of Kariah, You shall not do this thing, for you speak falsely concerning Ishmael. You speak lies. Boy, leadership has incredible responsibility. Doesn't it? Incredible responsibility. One of the things that uh, Edward talked about this morning, looking at the, the things that are going on in the Sudan or that have happened over there, that idea that the men used to, when they realized they were going to lose, just run and leave the women and children to slaughter or the games that the soldiers would play with them and how they wouldn't take the role of leadership, wouldn't take that or shoulder that responsibility. So God sent a pack of Marines the West and, and pretty much everybody who's part of far-reaching ministries, except for Edward, is Marine. So he takes a lot of grief. Former Marines. And uh, he catches a lot of grief in, in return. But one of the things that they've gone to those men is to instill within their heart to be responsible. Take the leadership that God's given. You're to be that shield and that guard over the women and the children, right? Your family, widows and orphans? Is there somewhere in Scripture you can find where God doesn't want us to be doing that? So the Lord lays out through these former Marines to go over to Sudan and to instill in these guys to take their leadership responsibility seriously. Here you have Gedaliah, called of God. The remnant of God is coming to him. His leadership comes to him and says, this guy means you ill. And he won't believe him. And then one guy comes to him privately and says, man, just, just let me take care of him. Let me go kill him because he's going to kill you. And he won't believe him. But you know what else you, you don't see? He won't seek the Lord either. One of the things that we've been studying on Wednesday night is that concept of what does it mean to be a man after God's own heart? What do we see in David? When David's following the Lord and walking properly, one of the things you'll see in his life, he always seeks the Lord, whatever it is. He says, that his, his, the women and the children have been taken captive. David, what shall we do? Bring the ephod. Let's seek the Lord. You would think, well, I don't need to seek the Lord. We need to go get him. But a man after God's own heart doesn't do that. A man after God's own heart seeks the Lord. What shall we do? The Lord says, go. They'll all be given to you. You'll, you'll, re, you'll be able to get them all back. You'll be able to receive them all. We want to be those who seek the Lord. What do we see here? Gedaliah doesn't want to believe it. Maybe Ishmael has made friends with him. Maybe Ishmael is, is a close uh, 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 confidant. I don't know. Scripture doesn't lay it out for us. But one of the things it does tell us, being that he's part of the royal line... Maybe he comes alongside and through flattery he's telling Gedaliah what a great job he's doing. And Gedaliah really feels like this guy's got my back. And this guy's going to watch over. Maybe everybody else has got it against me. But I trust him. But he is, like his father, a liar. 
And everybody else sees it but Gedaliah. Gedaliah won't see. It has been said that there are none so blind as those who will not see. A light is on, but they won't look. Chapter 41, it goes on, says, Now it came to pass in the seventh month that Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, the son of Elishama, of the royal family, and of the officers of the king, came with ten men to Gedaliah, the son of Ahiakim, at Mizpah. And there they ate bread together. Then Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, and the ten men who were with him, arose and struck Gedaliah, the son of Ahiakim, the son of Shaphan, with the sword, and killed him whom the king of Babylon had made governor over the land. Ishmael also struck down all the Jews who were with him. <clears throat> that is with Gedaliah at Mizpah, and the Chaldeans who were found there, the men of war. And it happened on the second day after he killed Gedaliah, when as yet no one knew it. Certain men came from Shechem, from Shiloh, and from Samaria. Eighty men with their beards shaved and their clothes torn, having cut, them, uh, having cut themselves with offerings and incense in their hand to bring them to the house of the Lord. You have 80 men who are making a Nazarite vow to get their life right with God. 80 men coming the day after Ishmael slaughtered the governor and killed all the Jews that were there. Well, these 80 guys don't know what they're just coming to worship. They're just coming to make an offering before the Lord. They're just coming to make a pledge. They're just trying to, to live their life out before God. They're trying to do what's right. They want to live their lives well. The scripture says, Now Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, went out from Mizpah to meet them, weeping as he went along. And it happened as he met them that he said, Come to Gedaliah, the son of Ahiakim. So it was when they came into the midst of the city, Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, killed them. And cast them into the midst of a pit. He and the men who were with him. So they slaughter the governor. Slaughter all the people. Eighty worshipers come. They slaughter them. And they throw them in the pit. Not all that much different from some of the things we saw this morning. Why? Because Satan always comes against God's remnant. He always comes to obliterate. He doesn't come bearing promises of peace. He comes bearing promises of destruction. In fact, Jesus would say, beware when they say peace and safety. For there is no peace and safety apart from the Prince of Peace. And the King of Kings. There's no peace apart from peace with Jesus Christ. There can be no peace. So they're coming to worship and he just obliterates, just wipes them out. He kills all of them but ten. Ten, they, they remain alive. Ten, he doesn't kill. Scripture tells us, but ten men were found among them who said to Ishmael, Do not kill us, for we have treasures of wheat, barley, oil, and honey in the field. So he desisted and did not kill them among their brethren. Now the pit into which Ishmael had cast all the dead bodies of the men whom he had slain, because of Gedaliah, <clears throat> was the same one Asa the king 
had made for fear of Baasha, king of Israel. Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, filled it with the slain. This pit that you can still visit is 80 foot deep. And the scripture said, he filled it. It's a big pit, not a little pit. And he filled it with the bodies of the slain. And Ishmael carried away captive all the rest of the people who were in Mizpah, the king's daughters, all the people who remained in Mizpah, whom Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, had committed to Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam. And Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, carried them away captive and departed to go over to who? The Ammonites. Why are there any Ammonites left? Well, because the children of Israel didn't do what God called them to do when they came into the land. Drive out the inhabitants. Take them out. But the Ammonites are still there. The Amalekites, the Jebusites, the Hittites. They're all still surrounding them. The enemies, they left. And here they are, still a thorn in their side. The Ammonites are the ones who funded the whole thing. The Ammonites pay Ishmael to go in there, wipe out the governor, kill all these people, throw them in a pit. For what? For what? For what? For, for gold? For money? For wheat? For what? Because they're simply servants of the enemy. But God always knows how to preserve his remnant. While we know, one, that God always preserves his remnant. Two, that the enemy will always come against it. Three is, the enemy will always fail. Now that's a hard thing to explain to the families of the guys that were filling up the pit. Unless you really understand what Paul wrote to us in the New Testament. Paul said... Whether to go and be with the Lord, which is far better, or to stay and be with you, which is needful for you, I, I cannot tell. For me, to live is Christ, but to, got, to die is gain. One of the guys on the video this morning said, if I die, I die. What's the downside? I'm in the presence of Christ. I'm in the presence of the Lord. What can man do to me? Take my life, send me earlier. Few moments of pain. An eternity of peace and pleasure in the presence of Almighty God. How do you stop a guy like that? How do you stop a guy like that doesn't care if you kill him? That's the kind of guy who can stand up in the middle of a battlefield and begin to sing praises and watch the soldiers behind him begin to win the battle following the leading of the Holy Spirit in his life. And that's, by the way, very Old Testament. Do we see that happening? How do you stop a man like Paul who says, I don't care how many times you beat me. I don't care how many times you put me in jail. I don't care what you do to me. I will never stop. Teaching and preaching the Lord Jesus Christ. What do you do with Peter and James and John when they're brought before the very same people who killed Jesus? And they're beaten and they're flogged. And then they're told, you stop teaching and preaching in the name of Jesus. And before they walk out of the room, 
They say to them, Whether it's right for us to obey God or man, you decide. But we will never stop. And they never did. Herod took James' life by the sword. Peter is going to be crucified upside down on a cross. John is going to be cast alive into a vat of oil to be boiled alive, only he won't die. So they put him on Patmos, where they could forget about him. But they never stopped. That's how the enemy can't win. Scripture tells us in the book of Revelation that they overcame the enemy by the, by the blood of the Lamb, the word of their testimony. Here's the important part. They did not love their lives to the death. Jesus said, if you fight to hold on to your life, it slips through your fingers like sand in an hourglass. But if you let your life go, then you'll find it. We let our life go in Christ. Get a lie of face with the the rigors of leadership failed the test, wouldn't apply the biblical mandates that are laid out before him, and he dies. And as a result, how many people go with him? Listen, no man is an island. Nobody goes alone. There's no such thing as I'll live my life how I want to, and it only affects me. That is a lie from the pit of hell. There's no such thing as it only affects me. That's bunk. It affects everyone. People you don't even know. 80 guys come in the worship. You don't even know they're coming. But they're all going to die. For simple. Something simple. Applying the truth of God's word in every aspect of our life. Living the truth. Do we believe the word? Is the word real? Is it powerful? Is it sharper than a two-edged sword? Is it, is it alive? Is it vibrant? Or is it just words on a page? Is it just stories we read? Just things we tell our kids so they can sleep at night? And have a hope for a future. Or do we really believe it? And if we really believe it, then we should apply the truths found in God's word. No. The devil will never win. But he may take your life. And God may let him. And praise the Lord. Because when he does, you'll see the king. Not through a dark glass face to face face to face with him face to face with the Lord Satan cannot stop you if you're willing to let go of your life if you're clinging to your life he can stop you he can stop you like he stopped Gedaliah he can stop you because he can put somebody who's willing to do what you're so afraid of The day will come. The day will come for all of us. We live in peace while the rest of the world suffers. People die every day for their faith. Just not here. Yet. 
But we have to reach that point, that place where we're willing to be faithful in the little things, right? The little things. Can I be faithful enough to, I don't have to die for the Lord today. Can I be faithful to just do the little things for him? Can I be faithful to be obedient in the little things that God tells me to do, the things I can do? And, I, and as I practice my faith, as I exercise my faith, it grows. And when you need it, it'll be there for you. When you need it, it'll show you the way. The scripture goes on to tell us, When Johanan the son of Kariah and all the captains of the forces that were with him heard all the evil the Ishmael the son of Nethaniah had done, they took all the men and went to fight Ishmael the son of Nethaniah, and they found him by the great pool which is in Gibeon. So it was when all the people who were with Ishmael saw Johanan the son of Kariah and all the captain. Uh, the captains of the forces who were with him, that they were glad. And all the people whom Ishmael had carried away captive from Mizpah turned around and came back and went to Johanan, the son of Kariah. And Ishmael, but Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, escaped from Johanan with eight men and went to the Ammonites. And Johanan, the son of Kariah, and the captains of the forces that were with him took from Mizpah all the rest of the people whom he had recovered from Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, after he murdered Gedaliah, the son of Ahikim, the mighty men of war and the women and the children and the eunuchs, whom he had brought back from Gibeon. They departed and dwelt in the habitation of Kimham, which is near Bethlehem, as they went on their way to Egypt, because of the Chaldeans. For they were afraid of them, because Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, had murdered Gedaliah, the son of Ahikim, whom the king of Babylon made governor in the land. Whom the king of Babylon had made. That's the same thing as declaring war against Nebuchadnezzar. Although there'll be fallout that'll come from that, but more important for us tonight, just flip over to, to the book of 2 Corinthians as we just... Uh, close out tonight with this and enter into an opportunity a time of prayer i want to invite you to, to take a look at second corinthians chapter four beginning at verse seven it says well, we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. For we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always caring about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal life. So then death is working in us, but life in you. Hey, the enemy's always going to come. He's going to try to squash. He's going to try to plunder. He's going to try to destroy. He can't win. He can't win if we... Make the choice to be the men and women of Christ. God wants us to be. Submitted and committed to Him. Allowing God to do the perfect work that He wants to do and accomplish in us. 
Tonight, as we close out, and as we do on uh, most Sunday nights, we're going to go into a time of prayer. I want to invite you guys. If the Lord lays uh, something on your heart you'd like to pray about, we want to invite you to pray. Uh, if the Lord gives you a word, a scripture that you would share, I invite you to share that scripture with us. As we just go before the Lord, close out the time when it is peaceful and quiet, uh, I'll close us out and we'll go from this place. But until then, let's seek his face. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we ask that you just meet us in this place. Lord, we thank you for today, the opportunities we've had in the word to study the truth of your word and the and the reality, God, that indeed you are able to preserve a remnant. When Elijah said he was alone, God, you told him you had 7,000 who hadn't bowed the knee to Baal. Lord, you're always moving and working. You're going to bring people into our lives that are going to speak into our lives that we can't even imagine, that we didn't even see coming. But God, you are able. You are able to do abundantly above all we can ask or imagine. Father, as we just seek you in this time, we ask, God, that you would speak to us by your spirit. Lord, that you would just, just lay out in our hearts, God, that desire to, to let our life go for the excellency of knowing you. To trust you implicitly in all that we do and to know, God, that, that you have a good plan for our life. Not easy, but good. And may we just embrace it. May we embrace what you want to do. May we embrace what you are doing, Lord God. And may we remember what you call us to do for one another. To pray, to lift one another up, to encourage, to build up, to stir up, and to cheer up. Lord, we pray that, Father, you would meet us in this place by the power of your Spirit. And enable us to fulfill that mission of your body. To encourage one another, Lord, we just lay this time in your hands.